one of the revelations and contributions of uh, Filipinization is the failure of regional governments in resolving uh, different uh, disputes within the region. Welcome to Baker's Dozen, a podcast about geopolitics from RAIN, Risk Assistance Network and Exchange. I'm Roger Baker. The Philippines holds a strategic position in the West Pacific, not only geographically, but in the expanding competition between the United States and China. This is not a new reality for Manila. For much of its modern history, the Philippines has found itself stuck between bigger competing powers. Like many middle powers, the Philippines has sought different ways to manage its strategic security, including siding with one big power, most often the United States, balancing between competing powers, or getting together with the Southeast Asian states to increase their collective leverage. And like most countries, the Philippines seeks independence of action, asserting its own interests and strengths in an attempt to free itself from being buffeted by the winds of great power competition. Today, I'm pleased to be joined by Dr. Chester Cabalza, Don McLean Gill, and Joshua Bernard B. Espena of the Manila-based think tank, International Development and Security Cooperation. They're the authors of a recent book on Manila's emerging grand strategy, The Rise of Philippinization. Thank you for joining me today. Thank you so much for having us, sir. Thank you so Thank much you. for having us. Thank you, Roger, for the invitation. So before we address this um, concept of Philippinization, I wonder if we could step back and take a minute and could you describe the way Manila sees its geopolitical position? From a strategic perspective, how does the Philippines view itself and its regional relations? Well, you know, for the longest time, Manila has been depending on Washington, given that it's a it's the it's Asia's longest treaty ally, and um, nevertheless, uh, we have not uh, seen uh, so much uh, closer relation except with Washington until such a time when uh, President Duterte became the leader of the Philippines. He tried to uh, diversify its foreign relations and uh, started engaging with uh, China and Russia and some other major powers. And that's the time that the Philippines was a little bit confused because there was no clear uh, independent foreign policy at the time. And uh, and of course, you know, given the, that um, um, there's a uh, very uh, um, confusing um, relationship with Washington, given the love-hate relationship that we have with the U.S., uh, that's the time that uh, Manila uh, started to get confused of its uh, relations uh, with all these major powers. And uh, I think that's the reason why we have concocted uh, the term Philippinization, because uh, while the Washington is trying to support us, especially in our case in the West Philippine Sea, we are also engaging with, with, with China, given that uh, China has a belligerent and a hostile relationship with Manila, uh, especially with their things in the West Philippine Sea. And uh, if I could just add on to that uh, real quick uh, in line with what Dr. Chester said, and I believe that this is a great point to start the conversation with, is that uh, the Philippines' current position, uh, geopolitically speaking, uh, has often been seen as a constraint rather than an, as an opportunity. And uh, it is often seen to be boxed in uh, amid the major power competition between the United States and China and is primarily... Um, 
constrained with its immediate interests in Southeast Asia and its immediate periphery. And this is really what got us going with the the concept of Philippinization, is to present a more pragmatic, practical approach and harness uh, the Philippines' geostrategic position uh, to be able to go beyond uh, the common mainstream narratives of what it is seen as. And uh, this is the uh, this is the chance for us to demonstrate how the Philippine position can be used to its advantage in the long term amid um, the geopolitical shifts that are occurring. And also to add uh, to Dr. Chester and Don, uh, what just had said, and perhaps I will be delving on to the domestic condition, particularly what the security community has been tackling. Or confronting uh, regarding this issue, this geostrategic uh, uh, condition, particularly when we when we try to discuss things with the armed forces of the Philippines, with the defense community, we would see their delicate uh, viewpoint regarding their alliance with the United States, whereas they are indeed a needed ally against rising power, that is China. We also confront questions regarding the political leadership's utility about the military, where in fact, while the military has been continuing its modernization uh, program, we can see the political leadership trying to also open some sort of uh, rapprochement with the, uh, with the Chinese. So therein lies questions whether the military would be really a useful tool in trying to get it get the country's weight in this delicate region. So that's all. So it's interesting as we look at um, the Philippines' position geographically. It sits right at this crossroads. Um, it's part of the north-south route between Southeast Asia and Northeast Asia. It's the the western um, center frontier of uh, what what the Chinese view is U.S. containment or encirclement of China. It's a potential gateway for the Chinese out uh, into the Pacific. And of course, as a country in and of itself, it's got a, a, a vast amount of natural resources of um, human capital available. Uh, it, it becomes an important place. And, and as you uh, have discussed in your book, you talk about this idea of uh, Philippinization. And you note that... Um, and it's a good time now to talk about it since we mentioned it but haven't really explained it. You note, though, that it's different than Finlandization, which is, of course, a term I think that that people are more used to hearing, which is effectively the idea that a country um, becomes a, a neutral buffer between two great powers. Um, and And that, of course, is back in the public consciousness today as both Finland and its neighbor Sweden are starting to actually consider potential NATO membership and no longer feeling like they're uh, capable of not picking sides or of being a forced buffer uh, between powers, especially as we see what's happening in Ukraine. So so how do you define then this concept of Philippinization? How does it differ from Finlandization? And what makes this a more viable strategy for Manila? Well, that's an interesting uh, comparison and contrast with the uh, Finlandization. Basically, that was also the uh, idea when we started writing about the book, uh, when we gathered um, um, a number of um, scholars, uh, young scholars in Manila, 
uh, there was a contention. What should we be calling about this book? Is it uh, going to be Finlandization of Manila? No, I said it's a different thing because I've been uh, traveling around uh, Finland back in 2017 to 2019 and I saw some uh, differences in terms of the texture and of course about how do we define um, Finlandization to Philippinization. When we talk about Philippinization, this is the process whereby a weaker state backed by a powerful country that refers to the United States goes through great lengths in temporarily refraining from opposing a neighboring great power that is China by resorting to economic and diplomatic rapprochements at the strategic level but strengthening its national security infra infrastructure referring to the Philippines on the operational level with an eye for potential conflict in the foreseeable future. So herein, even if we try to connect it with Finlandization, which has become a political concept for many generations, we saw that Finlandization is a product of the Cold War, given that, of course, we have the Ukraine-Russia uh, conflict right now. And also, um, the, the, the difference is that uh, um, um, Finland was uh, basically uh, subdued by Russia. That's the reason why it was amputated by the Russian forces, uh, given that, of course, in their geography, same as the uh, size of the Philippines, it was um, amputated. And uh, generally, uh, Finland has to uh, pay for repatriation with Russia. But that's a different thing uh, with what happened in the Philippines. We are still struggling for our sovereignty. And at the same time, we are being supported by the United States, given that, of course, you have the Indo-Pacific region here. And, of course, China is trying to assert and flex, uh, flexes its muscle, basically. And, uh, and at the same time, it is also uh, helping the Philippines, economically speaking. So you see there's a big difference in the um, di uh, difference in Finlandization and Philippinization. And I think... Uh, my, my colleagues here in their, uh, in their chapters, when they wrote it, um, they have uh, pictured, visualized a different uh, scenario where Philippinization works. And uh, just to add to that as well, um, you know, it's, it's very important that uh, you made this particular uh, comparison uh, between Finlandization and Philippinization. And you have rightfully said that Finlandization really talks about uh, the the concept of buffering, uh, buffer states for that matter. And the problem with that is, in, you know, compared to Finland, uh, Philippinization, is that Finlandization is a static concept. It it, it visualizes a state as a buffer uh, amid uh, the power competition between greater powers. But Finland, uh, Philippinization allows for more evolution it allows for growth uh, for a particular state so in this context the philippines given its current situation is trying to find uh, the middle way between uh, the united states and china but at the same time uh, it is uh, striving to go beyond uh, this particular predicament by enhancing its material capabilities and by engaging beyond uh, engaging beyond the the mainstream uh, and traditional partnerships that it has harnessed uh, throughout the years and this includes a particular chapter that i wrote on the philippine position in the indo-pacific that the philippines is a democratic country that adheres to the maintenance of the rules-based order and being geographically situated at the heart of the indo-pacific and having robust uh, connections throughout asean and uh, increasing connections with other major Indo-Pacific powers such as Australia, Japan, and India. Um, this is the, the potential for the Philippines to uh, break out of its uh, particularly um, constrained uh, 
conception of being primarily in Southeast Asia and to engage uh, with partners that it has not had, you know, that it has not been able to engage with in the past few years as effectively. So this is the opportunity that we are trying to show here through Philippinization that it is not static, that the Philippines is growing, is processing towards a more um, a more conducive future uh, based on its national interest. And to add off from Dr. Chester and Don, I consider Finlandization a rather pejorative term, whereas Philippinization as a possibly, uh, as a possibly dynamic term for uh, for developing strategic uh, options. Uh, and also, we have to understand that Finlandization, when you look at the geopolitical setting, Finlandization occurred in a place whereby land power prevailed over this scenario. Whereas Philippinization, we have to understand, we're living, we're situated in the Indo-Pacific, and therefore, it is much, a very much different from the Finlandization experience. Philippinization is situated whereby sea power is very much important. Whereas uh, no one can really own the sea that much. Uh, and, and, and at the same time, we are all living in a global maritime domain, a com- which is a common domain. And therefore, we have to understand that the Philippines doesn't have to uh, consider what the what Finland has also experienced for the reason that there's uh for the reason that Finland Finlandization uh, happened after a war the Russo-Finnish war in in the 1940s whereas Philippinization prepares the country for a particular uh, for a potential uh conflict of the foreseeable future so I think that's really important as you guys note there's a um there's a maritime component to this, which creates a different set of constraints and a different set of options for the Philippines than perhaps a place like uh, Finland had during the Cold War. Um, yet we have seen, for example, China encroaching on and occupying Philippine claim territory in the uh, in the Philippine Sea, in the east, uh, the South China Sea, um, and we have seen Beijing using economic and military coercion to try and shape the direction of Philippine foreign policy. And obviously the long-standing uh, political and economic relationship with the United States in some ways tries to influence uh, the direction of Philippine uh, foreign policy. So in some sense, what you're, what you're describing is a way for the Philippines to be a proactive agent of its own future rather than just a country that's buffeted between these big powers. That is exactly what we're trying to advance, actually, because we have to understand the Philippines is a middle power. We are not a small power because when we try to look at the international system, small powers are rather passive and, uh, and, and after all, a very reactive uh, actor. Whereas a middle power, even though it has a minimal military capability which can hardly challenge a great power. Nonetheless, it has other components such as the diplomatic networks. Uh, we've seen it in different power indices such as the uh, such as of the Lowy Institute. So what I'm trying to say here is that a middle power such as the Philippines can use and, or and utilize other 
uh, other state uh, state instrument. What, and that is why we have come up with the idea that middle power can can maximize its diplomatic capital in order to build defense networks, economic economic power power regional powerhouses in order to up its game, so that in the future we can we might have a formidable defense capability. So here we, we here I consider that being a middle power doesn't stay a static or in, in such a way that it will be forever a middle power. Possibly it can rise up to the uh, the ashes of being a passive power, which the Philippines has experienced under a very different security uh, perception, uh, being a, an ally of the United States. Maybe Don can give uh, can deliver first his uh, insights before I'll give mine. Okay, thank you, Dr. Chester. And uh, yes, uh, absolutely. And it's this particular process uh, that differentiates Philippinization from Finlandization, as my uh, co-authors have rightfully pointed out. And this is something that uh, we are hoping that this concept would be able to be applied not only for the Philippines, but also for other states, uh, particularly how Finlandization became a, a general concept uh, to talk about uh, states that are uh, in the buffer between major powers, uh, Philippinization allows for more flexibility, and it's a it's a it's a forward-looking framework that really um, allows states uh, to go beyond uh, acting merely as a buffer, but as you have rightfully said, Mr. Roger, uh, to try to actually uh, pave the way towards their own interest. And this is absolutely important, given, of course, the dynamic shifts that are occurring uh, in the global geopolitical landscape. And uh, this, we believe, is something that is timely as well, uh, considering that power shifts are also quite fluid. And uh, this, we believe, would also uh, complement the, the current dynamics of the international system and would be able to adjust uh, properly uh, throughout the future as well. So we, we devised a flexible concept uh, that would be able to explain the past, the present, and hopefully the future as well. Well, uh, thank you for that, uh, Don and uh, Joshua. No, but uh, definitely, there are a number of um, revelations in this book, given, of course, uh, what um, Joshua has uh, taught, uh, talked about, about uh, the Philippines' uh, middle power status. And, of course, definitely, even um, great, small, and middle powers have also grand strategies, which uh, we showed here, that uh, given that the Philippines has um, gained a lot of... Um, up, uh, of uh, a lot of... Um, of, 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 of Praises on its uh, lawfare, but nonetheless, uh, we also so, uh, uh, have seen that uh, Manila, definitely, particularly this uh, incumbent government, was not able to utilize properly this uh, power on uh, leveraging its uh, relations with uh, Beijing. And also, um, one of the uh, um, uh, um, conditions in this book is that, of course, uh, given that, of course, um, um, Southeast Asia has also become a battleground uh, for these uh, buffering um, status of uh, major powers and also like uh, what you said, uh, Mr. Roger, about uh, the maritime status, given that, of course, we've seen the, the rise of the Indo-Pacific region and also we've seen um, a number of uh, middle power countries in Southeast Asia trying to um, invalidate the, um, uh, the, the uh, different um, hedging strategies of these um, 
other small state uh, actors in the in the in, in Southeast Asia. But nonetheless, uh, moreover, uh, um, Philippinization will give us a prospect that um, even the middle powers have the power to basically um, attract uh, major powers, and uh, it can uh, redirect its uh, foreign and defense po policies, uh, given uh, by by utilizing all the um, uh, all forms of uh, national power uh, that uh, they have basically. As you've noted, the um, and I think it's interesting the idea that like Finlandization became a term that was potentially utilizable in other parts of uh, looking at the world system. You're talking about this idea of Philippinization being uh, one that can carry on to other countries, obviously in in their own unique way. Um, uh, what what other countries in the region are you seeing? One that comes to my mind is potentially thinking in the long term about a country like South Korea, for example, that is. Um, uh, has a close security relationship with the United States, but is also working very hard to have a, a fairly strong independent national security, um, maintains relatively strong economic ties with China, um, even uh, uh, until recent uh, events uh, with Russia, um, and so is trying to find that way to walk its own uh, its own path. Um, and I guess as 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 you think about other countries that may have this. What might be some of the risks or challenges? For example, in the in the Philippinization idea that you lay out, um, in the end, it's about strengthening national security for expectations of a long uh, a future potential confrontation, and maybe being able to either stand up on their own or deter that future confrontation. So there's that sen sense of of stress or conflict down the road. Um, is it possible for a country in their pursuit of strengthening themselves? while trying to manage competing big powers, that their security um, partner uh, wanes before they're actually ready to be able to stand up uh, for themselves. That's absolutely right, uh, Mr. Roger, and you have rightfully mentioned uh, an example for South Korea, that matter, and uh, the need to understand that Philippinization involves, of course, it's not a smooth sailing process. It's not a one-way path uh, without the challenges and constraints. Like any, uh, like any policy orientation, there are risks that are involved. And particularly what we have introduced uh, in Finla uh, Philippinization, in line with the Philippines for that matter, is the role of perception. Yes, materially speaking, in terms of material capabilities, um, the Philippines uh, is a middle power for that matter. And geopolitically speaking, it is, uh, it is uh, pivotal in terms of uh, the Indo-Pacific as a whole and beyond. However, uh, the lack of awareness to harness these particular material capabilities uh, has impeded the Philippines' potential to... Um, to forward and secure its national interests uh, quicker than we wanted it to. So these are. this is one of the many constraints, of course, uh, that countries can face uh, in terms of leveraging their potential towards the path of Philippinization. And that in itself is, is a challenge, of course, for many countries, and even for South Korea, for that matter, is... Power and perception uh, go hand in hand in this particular concept, and we have devised it to go beyond the rigid narratives of um, of, uh, of dominant theories, of course, such as realism, 
that sort of uh, box in particular states based only on material capabilities. And we have added that flexibility of perception along with power uh, to be able to um, to be able to uh, see the trajectory of a number of states, including the Philippines. So yes, uh, the concept is there, the path has been laid out, but the level of and the speed of a state's performance towards that particular goal that we have envisioned in Philippinization will depend on a number of factors and challenges and obstacles. One of which would be the perception and having a domestically uh, cohesive and uh, and unified approach towards harnessing these capabilities. So they play along the whole process and this actually uh, complicates the equation further, but at the same time, if played right, uh, this would be able to be a, a stepping stone for more to come. And to add from Don's perception, uh, uh, from to add from Don's perception, uh, uh, factor. I remember the late uh, strategist Colin Dre had said that time is the least forgiving dimension of strategy, and this is exact. This is exactly it. That Philippinization offers you a, a proper framework for strategists, defense communities to think about to think about their national security strategy in a limited uh, uh, framework of time. For the reason that power shift can be volatile, okay. So in that sense, it is a it Philippinization is a very practical framework for for security communities, political leadership. Because, uh, as you have mentioned, Sir Roger, is that perhaps the stronger power, which we have mentioned in our definition, may wane over time, and that is the challenge for the United States experiencing domestic turmoil economic uh, economic uh, instability, the political diplomatic uh, uh, insufficiencies right now with the issue of Ukraine crisis and and so much more. So again, yes, Philippinization provides you a practical practical framework in order for uh, in order for the scholars, political leadership and security communities to realize that time is of the essence. And great power politics is a dangerous business. Well, I think uh, one of the um, revelations and I think contributions of uh, Filipinization is the failure of regional governments in resolving uh, different uh, disputes within the region. Like uh, what happened in the Philippines, we've um, lobbied this uh, problem on the West Philippine Sea in Southeast Asia through ASEAN, but basically ASEAN was not the answer for it. That's the reason why we, the Philippines, internationalized its uh, cause and was able to get an arbitration award from the Permanent Court of Arbitration. Same as true as what is happening right now in Russia-Ukraine conflict where we see a power struggle between a great power and a middle power and Ukraine basically um, doesn't uh, can can fit to this uh, kind of uh, Philippinization where it tries to lobby with the European Union and we'll see what happens later on if the EU will uh, technically accept um, Ukraine given all the different factors that uh, we are seeing in these uh, current uh, competition powers in the Balkan region and definitely um, Philippinization will be uh, can be used in this kind of uh, allegory and uh, comparison contrast basically uh, based from um, the concepts of international relations and national security 
and uh, power uh, relations basically. So nevertheless, just like what the finalization has uh, sold uh, through different generations, we were looking forward that perhaps this Filipinization can be used in uh, succeeding um, generations also as uh, what we have uh, described um, in the book basically. Well, that's really rather interesting. And, and as you mentioned in the book, there's a lot of um, there's a lot of really uh, useful uh, elements that you all raise um, looking at the history of the Philippines, looking at its regional relations, looking at its um, relation with its core alliance and the evolution of that over time and ultimately coming to this uh, uh, primary concept. And well, I would love to keep this conversation going for another 20, 30 minutes. I think we're pushing the end of our our time here um, and a lot more to say and, and worth taking a look at this book but I want to uh, thank all of you for being here today thank you so much for having us thank you very thank much you it's so an much. honor for us honor well we've been speaking with uh, Dr. Chester Cabalza with Don McLean Gill um, and with Joshua Bernard Espana today uh, they're the authors of the book on Philippinization um, and they join us from the International Development and Security Cooperation, IDSC. Um, as we think about this concept of Philippinization, I think it's it's interesting because, as, as we've heard, this is something that, unlike uh, Finlandization, which is very much from a bipolar global system, Philippinization seems to be a concept that may fit for the rising role of, of middle powers in a multipolar world system. Definitely something to think about as we look forward. And if you're interested in keeping abreast of geopolitical trends in the region and the world, subscribe to Rain's Worldview. Go to worldview.stratfor.com. That's worldview.stratfor.com. I'm Roger Baker, and thank you for listening.